0: Um, all right, so it's crazy to me that this is the last encounter. Um, you know, we kind of had a one-off night, so we were, I've been th- praying for a couple months now what to talk about, and I felt convicted here a month or two ago about a specific topic. So we're going to just jump right in. Uh, I'm going to start by praying. So if you guys will pray with me. Jesus, thank you for um, just this ministry, thank you for this place, thank you for what makes this ministry a ministry, and that's all these wonderful people. Thank you for all the souls in this room, God, Um, the ones that couldn't join us today. um, They are your creation. I pray that this is a place where we realize that. Um, I know personally, God, I cannot thank you enough for saving my soul, and um, I know because of your gift, Lord, I have access to the one true God of the universe all the time, And in genuine faith in that truth, Jesus, I'm asking you right now that you bless tonight. And I pray that you bless tonight by sending your Holy Spirit into this place and um, that you will just rid this place of any pride or sin, all the filth we probably brought in here, to your glory, I pray that it's gone. And you open our eyes, remove the things that might hinder us from truly knowing you. And I pray that tonight, um, Jesus, you will allow us Through the work of your word and through the Holy Spirit, allow us to see you for who you truly are. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so you guys are lucky you get two um, awesome just media um, things going on tonight because we're going to start tonight with a video clip, okay? Um, So just real quick, I want to explain it before we jump in. Um, This is a scene from the show The Chosen. Um, I don't know if you, if you haven't seen The Chosen. It is a TV show about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, and so we're going to play. This is about a 10-minute scene. And just so you know, this scene is a depiction of Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Okay, and so I would encourage you to go read it. We're not going to have time to read it in here tonight, but please, like, go read it later today. Now, I think this scene... I mean, it's hard to turn 16 verses into a TV or into a whole scene. So they take some creative liberties. But guys, the heart of this scene, I think, is very accurate um, to what the point of this passage in Scripture is. Okay? So we're going to watch this. My encouragement to you is I want you to actually pretend like you're there. Okay? Historically, this actually happened. Once again, it's a TV show couple creative liberties, but I feel like they honor the heart of what really happened. So, historically this happened, use your imagination, pretend you're there, okay? We're gonna watch this scene real quick. All right, Um whew. powerful scene. Um, I don't know if we were tracking all there. I should have it, prefaced it with um, kind of what was going on. Jesus is back in his hometown, and basically his home church, in a way, asked him to come and be a part of their church service. And to read scripture. And then obviously from there, there was a tension, right? Were you picking up on the tension? And it started to build and build until finally it just kind of exploded. Now, did you notice the cause of the tension? Did you notice why everyone was so upset? Okay, a lot of stuff was happening. Ultimately, I guess first of all, Jesus tells a group of Jewish people that the one true God doesn't just care about Jewish people. He actually cares about everyone. Right? But from there, ultimately, I think ultimately what those people were so mad about and so frustrated about, and this is ultimately what Jesus was crucified for, but this is also ultimately what Christianity is built on. Right? The ultimate issue there was Jesus claimed to be God. Right? Jesus claimed to be God, and the people had an issue with that. Now, to be fair, let's put ourselves in those people's shoes, Okay? Seriously, use your imagination, put yourself in their shoes. You've got a guy that you've grown up with, you probably view him as a peer, and suddenly he tells, he tells you he's your God. I mean, how are you going to react to that? Like seriously, if you were in that room, what would you be doing? Now, I know everything kind of really blew up at the end, but before that, earlier in the conversation, I think it was one or two things that Jesus said that were kind of the initial, is where, the, uh, where it really started to escalate, okay? He referenced salvation like tw- twice, or even more than twice, but then on top of that, there was kind of one thing I'm thinking of specifically. I don't know if you guys caught it, but there, the moment where Jesus essentially says, if you don't recognize me for who I truly am, and you don't come to me. He said, I can't save you. That's a bold statement. I can't save you. Once again, put yourself in that room with him. There is a guy who is flesh and blood just like you, but he is claiming superiority over you. And just so you know, in order to be saved, the Savior would have to be coming from a superior position. Okay? But not only is he claiming to be superior, on top of that, he's pretty much claiming that you have no control besides admitting you have no control because he is the one with all authority. My, my last time asking, but seriously, if you're in that room, how are you reacting? So one of the values I want us to have here at CSF is salvation before sanctification, okay? Salvation before sanctification. So some of you, these might seem like two just really big churchy words. And I want you to know I've been praying that God will help me explain them well, which I'm gonna try here in a second. Now, some of you might not know these words at all on the other end of the spectrum. Some of you might think you know them a little too well. Because we got to be careful. Our pride and our insecurities can grab a hold of these concepts and turn them into something that, don't, that doesn't honor God. But I've been praying that God would bless today as I try in part to define salvation and sanctification. Because the bottom line is, guys, salvation and sanctification are of the utmost importance. Okay, They are indispensable, or at least God's version of them. So they deserve way more time than I can actually dedicate to them this morning. But real quick, here's my real quick analysis of the two ideas, okay? Here's just a real surface level generic definition. Salvation is to be saved. You're like, no doubt, okay? What does it mean to be saved? It is where you are delivered from harm or ruin or loss, okay? Basic generic definition of salvation. Sanctification on the surface level, is the process of being sanctified. Once again, no duh, right? What does it mean to be sanctified? That is when something is set apart. Sanctified means something is set apart. And I think often with sanctification, the thing that is saved is the thing that's actually meant to be set apart. And so real quick, I'm gonna share this illustration. Hopefully it'll help with a couple things. Um, Once again, use your imagination. I'm big on using imagination, okay? but you're in the middle of a lake, and you're drowning, okay? You've been struggling for what seems like forever. In fact, you pretty much, it feels like you've been drowning your entire life. It's like it's the only reality you know at this point. At at first, initially, you started out on top of the water. You had some strength. You were treading water. Maybe you could float a little bit, but at this point, you're not even on top of the water anymore. You're like a foot or two beneath the surface, and your lungs are on fire, (laughs) and you've got nothing left. And so you finally come to terms with the fact that there is nothing in your control that could possibly save you at this point. Okay? So your only hope is for someone in a superior position, remember a savior would have to come from a superior position, your only hope is for someone in a superior position to come and rescue you. So, in a moment of pure joy, a strong grip grabs a hold of you and lifts you up out of the water onto their superior position, okay? For the sake of the analogy, let's go with a boat. Maybe they zipped over in a boat real quick, grabbed you up out of the water. Maybe the person who rescued you is actually powerful enough to walk on water. Maybe so they pull you up and they let you walk on water with them, okay? I don't know. Bottom line is... They come over, they save you, and allow you to become a part of their superior position. Okay? Now, side note on this real quick, I think it's kind of important. Do you think someone who has just been delivered from drowning in that scenario, and once again, you gotta use your imagination because if you're not getting it, then it just won't make sense, but someone who is truly rescued from drowning in that situation and has been set apart in this new, far superior environment, do you think they would catch their breath real quick, look around, and then jump back in the water? Okay, that might sound silly, but I'm genuinely asking. Because let's go back to the definition real quick. Salvation is to be delivered from a horrible scenario or situation. Remember, it said harmful or ruinous. Okay? Sanctification is the proof that someone who becomes a part of that new reality, who has been delivered into that new reality, actually stays there, actually wants to stay there. So it might sound crazy that a drowning person would jump right back in, and yet I would argue that is actually the depiction of a lot of people's spiritual lives. See, I can be rescued from drowning. That would be the salvation part. I am saved from drowning, and the mercy of that Savior, they set me apart in a new, better, superior position. Sanctification is the proof that I actually stay there. Okay? So, back to salvation. We're going to look at it now specifically through the Christian perspective. Right. Those were generic definitions, so specifically the Christian perspective. Salvation, remember, it means to be saved. But specifically from a Christian perspective, it is where Jesus Christ personally delivers someone from sin and its consequences, okay? And then sanctification, remember, that's to be set apart. But specifically in the Christian faith, sanctification is where it's the reality that Jesus sets you apart into, which is simply his presence where he declares you holy, free from sin, and completely purified. Okay? Now, salvation, once again, it's where Jesus Christ personally delivers you from sin. I think it's worth talking about sin real quick. Because a lot of times I think we simply associate sin with the symptoms of the root issue. Okay, And we can become so focused on the symptoms of sin that we never actually address the root issue. For example, it's easy to think that sin is simply things like murder, lust, drunkenness, infidelity, lying, so on and so on. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are sinful, okay? I'm not denying that. But those sinful acts, they stem from the deeper issue, All right, and the deeper issue is is sin at its core is where we say, forget you, God. Forget you. I think I can define good. Or forget you, God. I don't need you for life. But just so you know, you do. You cannot have life outside of Jesus Christ. Hear this. You can exist outside of God's presence. Plenty of people are doing that. But you cannot live life is his. That's why in John 14, 6, he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Later in John 17, he says again, this is eternal life. He says, essentially he says, it's to know me. Eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That is life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages is a fancy term for byproduct or result. So what it's basically saying is, hey, the result of sin, remember, sin is where we choose to live outside of God's presence. And it's saying, hey, the result of choosing to live outside of God's presence is death. And those things like murder, lying, gossip, hatred, all that stuff, that's, that's simply symptoms of death. But... He says, God can give the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So salvation from a Christian perspective is where Jesus rescues someone who has chosen to exist outside of his presence. Sanctification is the transformation of that rescued person as they choose to stay in his presence. And once again, I wish we could dedicate more time to this tonight. All right? But let's go back to our value here at CSF. Salvation before sanctification. Why is that important? Because Jesus can't sanctify someone who won't let him save them. He can't sanctify someone who isn't saved. Jesus can't make someone holy. He can't set them apart in his presence if they want to continue existing outside of his presence. I hope this makes sense. Salvation is literally the starting point of sanctification and the order matters. Salvation before sanctification. A lot of times we try to sanctify ourselves to prove our salvation. Mm -mm. Salvation comes from Jesus alone and it has to happen before he can sanctify us. So as important as sanctification is, and I hope we're gonna focus a lot on it next semester, okay, but tonight is all about salvation. It's about the first part of that order. Today is about the fact that there are tons of people who are rejecting God and they are trying to live outside of His presence. Today is about the fact that every single one of us needs Jesus Christ to reach down into our sinful, prideful existences and pull us up into His presence, which is true life the only place that actually exists. So, remember how I told you to pretend you were in that scene, right? That scene that happened um, earlier, and I asked you, how would you respond? Okay, well, guess what? Here's the crazy thing. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend to be in that scene that happened 2,000 years ago. Because the point of that scene was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is still alive and active and well And he's playing out that same scene every day in the hearts of people. Jesus is here tonight. Jesus is in your heart. He's in all of our hearts. And he's saying the same thing he was saying 2,000 years ago. If you don't recognize me for who I truly am and come to me, he's saying, I can't save you. And so let it be known, Jesus Christ wants to save you. I say that in full confidence. Your response, I can't speak to. All right, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator who can reconcile holy, set apart, amazing, wonderful God with sinful, separated, broken humanity. And that is the person, that is the man, Jesus Christ. Now, it's worth pointing out real quick, there are people in this room who are saved, and praise God for that. Praise God for that. If that's you, if you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ because you genuinely believe in him, and because you're pursuing an obedient, faithful relationship with him, my encouragement to you is rest in that. Rest in the truth that he claims you and that you are saved. That's the point of life or the starting point of it. If there's anyone in here and you aren't saved, I just want you to know Jesus Christ wants you to be from his end. And we wanna be a place where authentic salvation can actually take place. But real quick, I think this is my last point and this is worth pointing out as we talk about the authenticity regarding a pure desire for salvation, okay? So real quick, genuine salvation, just so you know, genuine salvation is about the Savior, not our idea of saved. And if you're not careful, I promise you, you will swap those two ideas. So remember the illustration of the person in the lake who is drowning, okay? Let's pretend that person was just rescued, okay? So they're in the boat, And so that person who was literally seconds removed from a horrific way of existing, okay? Hopefully catching your breath in the boat is a superior form of existing, right? Rescued into that, seconds away from a horrific way of existing. What would your thoughts be if that person's response was simply catch their breath, look around, and immediately start thinking or asking Why isn't this boat bigger? Or why isn't this a nicer boat? Or maybe they look around at the creation and they're like, these are the colors, seriously? I would have done something a little different here. Or I need to figure out how this reality works so I can start, I don't know, making money or building my social status. If someone was truly drowning, do you think that would be an appropriate or accurate response to that situation? I don't think so. I think in a situation where someone is genuinely saved, I think the only authentic response is extreme gratitude for whoever it was that saved you. Before you care at all or even realize what your new environment is, I think you would be overwhelmingly absorbed in a thankfulness solely for the Savior. Genuine salvation is 100% from the Christian faith perspective. Genuine salvation, 100% about the person of Jesus Christ. Not what we might selfishly want him to do for us. So, something that's really awesome is we're actually, we have a baptism tonight. Right? Let's go. That's exciting. So one of our students, Zachary Baker, is about to get baptized here in a few minutes. Now, I want to brag on him real quick, because I met with Zachary a couple months ago to talk about baptism, and we talked through about four or five different passages that I always go through when talking about baptism with someone, and as we went through those passages, at the end of our conversation, you know what he did? He looked at me, and he said, I can't do this. He said, I can't, I can't get baptized right now. And I said, okay. I said, how come? And he said, because it would be purely selfish. He said, I know if I did it right now, this wouldn't have anything to do with who Jesus Christ actually is. And he said, can I have more time to think and pray about this? That's awesome. A couple weeks ago, after some prayer and other conversations, Zachary circled back to me. He said, okay, Ben, Ben, I'm ready to do this for the right reasons. He says he truly wants to surrender because of his authentic faith in who Jesus Christ is. So we're gonna celebrate that in just a second. And so I'm gonna invite the band to come up. As they come up, though, we're gonna enter into just, this is gonna be a minute or two of just prayer time, okay? And here is my encouragement. If you're saved and you've already surrendered and given your life to Jesus Christ, I simply want you to rest in that truth right now. Rest in his presence. Remember the truth of your salvation and simply sit in the joy and overwhelming gratitude of truly knowing Christ. If you're not saved, but you realize, you believe genuine salvation could only come from this man, Jesus Christ, and you want him to save you, you want to repent of your sins, you want to genuinely turn to him, I would love to talk to you. Spend time in prayer, but if you want to talk, I'm going to go right back here and I would love to talk to you if that's you. Lastly, if there's someone in here, you're not saved, you're not interested in being saved, maybe you think all of this is malarkey, maybe you even find it offensive. If you find it offensive, I apologize. That's truly not my intent. I genuinely believe this with all my heart. If it is you, my one request is as we pray for about a minute, maybe simply, I mean, what's it going to hurt? Humor me. Ask Jesus, if he's real, to show you what, the, what your problem with him actually is or maybe the reason why you're having a hard time believing in him. Okay? So those are my requests. We're going to pray quietly for about a minute, okay? And then they're going to lead us in worship.